What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. All right, here we are, season two, episode twenty-four. It's another glorious day outside, so I'm definitely loving this weather lately. Hopefully, that keeps up. And today on Tale of the Tapes, we have Fat Joe and Eight Ball and MJG. So, for anyone who's not aware, we are covering three people today because although Eight Ball and MJG are being judged and scored individually. They are a group, so it's Fat Joe and the group of 8-Ball and MJG today. Also, very important note, today is the last episode before our summer break. Now, we won't be taking the rest of the year off like we did in Season 1 because we're not done with the 90s yet. Whenever the 90s ends, we will take the rest of that year off before we get into the next decade, but... Just taking a summer intermission here and we'll be back in the fall as season two will pick up right back where it left off September 22nd. We'll then take a one week break for Christmas and New Year's and be right back for the first week of January to continue season two again. So with all that out of the way, let's get into Fat Joe as he was the first to have an album out which came out in 1993. His birth name is Joseph Antonio Cartagena. Also known as Fat Joe the Gangster, Don Cartagena, and Joey Crack. Born August 19, 1970 in New York City, United States. Genre is listed as hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1992 to present. So let's read up on a little bit of background about Fat Joe. Joseph Antonio Cartagena, born August 19, 1970, better known by his stage name Fat Joe, is an American rapper and actor from the Bronx, New York. He began his music career as a member of hip-hop group Diggin' in the Crates crew, also known as DITC, then forged a solo career and set up his own label Terror Squad, to which he signed Big Pun, Remy Ma, Tony Sunshine, Cuban Link, Armageddon, Prospect, Triple Sace, and DJ Khaled, as well as discovered producers Cool and Dre. Fat Joe's debut solo album, Represent, was released in 1993 and spawned the single Flow Joe, which reached number one on the Billboard Hot Rap Songs chart. His most commercially successful album to date was Jose, which is an acronym for Jealous One Still Envy, in 2001. It was certified platinum by the RAAA and internationally certified silver by the BPI, as well as reaching the top 100 on multiple music charts. In 2018, he began hosting a podcast on Tidal Coca Vision, where he discusses music, friendships, and pop culture with various guests. So, we can certainly see a couple of things in that background right away. While Fat Joe is being judged today here as a rapper, you can see how he's credited for forming multiple big and successful groups, as well as finding many very successful artists and producers we also see some commercial success for Fat Joe as far as singles and album sales goes. So a decent amount there on Fat Joe. And now let's get into what I had to say about Fat Joe when I studied him. Fat Joe obviously had a lot of great runs in the game with DITC, Big Pun and the Terror Squad, and again later on with Remy Ma. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Fat Joe fan before doing this, but I didn't dislike him either. Joe rose up pretty high at one point lyrically, but started to tail off in the last quarter of his career. He was a little inconsistent throughout the years, but definitely showed the ability to keep topic and drop meaningful verses on some serious songs. 
For the most part, he was a decent storyteller in spots, and the fact that most rhymes were at least two syllables and the good bars outweighed the bad ones by a good enough margin, he was above average lyrically. I never realized just how much material the Don Cartagena had. Qualifying 11 solo albums, two with Terror Squad, one with DITC, one with Remy Ma, and two mixtapes for a total of 17. Although none were classics, 11 of those 17 albums were good, one was great, and the other five were average. He had a total of 208 songs in his career. Of those songs, three were great and six were weak, while another 41 were good. Aside from bringing in some big names and always seeming to surround himself with some serious bar spitters, Fat Joe also had clear influences on artists such as Jay-Z, Method Man, Red Man, Big Pun, and others. When it came to originality, Joe started off okay, but never really did anything super unique from song topics to rhyme style to image, etc. Later on in his career, he started to get very trendy, less substance, and borrowed a lot of lines from a lot of artists, especially Biggie, Tupac, Jay-Z, and Big Pun. He went from having heavy bar spitters like Lord Finesse and Big L on his songs to having more of a French Montana and Future sound. So let's get into the math of what I wrote down. Lyrics he gets a 6 as we spoke about above average. Now this is a rare instance. A lot of times you'll see people either start off really bad and get a little bit better but still not really be good or you'll see them start off okay and you know get better and do pretty well or you might see them have a rocky start and skyrocket and wind up being one of the greatest lyricists of all time or at least finish on our top 10% lyrically what happened with Fat Joe was Fat Joe started out fine Fat Joe didn't have any you know real problems early on lyrically and he climbed a bit towards like the middle of his career from the beginning to the middle he started off okay and he just got better and better and better to about the peak of his career, and then after that, you know, it was like he almost traded in the lyrics for the money, and I'm not trying to shit on Fat Joe or say he made a bad decision or anything, but I do have to call things like I see him and score them as they are, so he did bring himself back down a little bit with his later stuff, which is very rare that that happens with anybody. I'm through 165 artists, and I've probably seen maybe three to five people go up and down like that, Most people either kind of remain steady or go up, but there have been rare occasions where people have either gone up and then back down or people have actually just gone down. So Fat Joe, one of the ones that kind of went up and then started to tail back off later on in his career. Albums, he gets a 3.98 with zero classics. Songs, he gets a minus 0.15, so just over a tenth of a point. Obviously small, but again, losing points where he could be gaining them. And we spoke about how he came to that. He had 208 songs. Three of them were great, but he had six weak songs. So more weak songs for Fat Joe than great songs. So he loses a little bit in the song category. Impact, he gets a six and a half. This is another little bit of a slippery slope and a a tricky one here with Fat Joe. We have one of those examples. We spoke about this with like Lodge Professor and uh, a couple of other like, you know, producer, rapper type people where... If you talk about them as a person and just their name and what they've done for hip-hop as a whole, the impact would be really, really, really high. But if we talk about them just as a rapper, it's definitely a lot lower just as a rapper. Now, I've spoken about this many times before. Yes, both things are included, 
but the big chunk of the impact is gonna come from what they did as an actual rapper. Now, if they've achieved an insane amount as a DJ or an insane amount as a producer, or they've brought a lot of attention to hip hop through acting or something else that they did that garnered an extreme amount of attention, it will be factored in, but it's not going to hold as much weight as what they did as a rapper. So if they did almost nothing as a rapper and they did, you know, mediocre things elsewhere, their impact score is going to be very low. So with Fat Joe, he's not really a DJ or a producer per se, anything like that, where he was more successful in any other particular areas. But impact-wise, I would say that Fat Joe had a bigger impact on the game as a scout and a label rep more than anything because there are a lot of guys, a lot of people that were brought in by Fat Joe that if you were to say, hey, can you imagine if these people were never found? It would be pretty crazy. I mean, we ran off the list of names when we read Fat Joe's background where they named particular people such as Big Pun, Remy Ma, Tony Sunshine, Cuban Link, Armageddon, Prospect, Triple Sace, and DJ Khaled. Okay, now think about some of those people. Also, he found producers Cool and Dre. So we're not talking about just rappers. We're talking about rappers, DJs, and producers that this guy has found. DJ Khaled, obviously huge in the game. Now that's not for me to say that I'm a DJ Khaled fan. I'm just saying we do see DJ Khaled's name all over the place. We hear DJ Khaled spoken about very often. We see DJ Khaled's name on a lot of things. DJ Khaled puts out a lot of material. DJ Khaled does well. That's thanks to Fat Joe. Cool and Dre, same thing. Thanks to Fat Joe. The whole Terror Squad as a whole, thanks to Fat Joe. But then we could look at some members individually. I mean, you know, everybody knows who most of those people are. You might not know who all of them are, but... Most people know who most of those people are, but then you got people like Remy Ma. She was really hot at one point. Now, I'm not saying Remy Ma is irrelevant right now, but Remy Ma's career took a little bit of a turn. Remy Ma went from being, you know, the next best female to doing time in jail, and I believe she either had a kid or is having a kid with Papoose or, you know, whatever goes on. So I'm not saying that she quit rapping or that she sucks or her career is over or whatever the case is, but it certainly is one of those things where what's going on with her right now in her career was certainly not what looked like was going to happen when she first came out. But, I mean, Remy Ma still a big name in the game for sure. Big pun, obviously a fucking legend. I mean, we could take away every other single name in here and just say that he found Big Pun. And, you know, that would make him relevant to hip-hop in itself. But aside from the whole Terror Squad, aside from a DJ and producers and talking about particular names like Big Pun and Remy Ma, we got to throw the whole DITC crew in there. So we had, uh, you know, AG in there who was who we covered on the, on the podcast we had Lord Finesse in there we covered on the podcast. We just spoke about Large Professor who made the cut and was covered on the podcast. All those people in DITC. Big L, another one. So, I mean, when you talk about some of these people that Fat Joe kind of ushered into the game or, you know, maybe led to the doorway or whatever. Now, I'm not. this is not to say that these people wouldn't have existed without Fat Joe, but the fact of the matter is that he was the one to kind of find them and you know, bring their claim to fame. Same thing with, uh, with MC Search and Nas and stuff like that. You know, you hear these backstories that aren't really well-known stories to people who don't follow hip-hop that closely, 
But I mean, these are important things for sure. So again, talking about Fat Joe's impact, it's it's one of those things where, as a rapper, Fat Joe's impact is not through the roof. It's there. It's big. Fat Joe had a decent amount of commercial success. He's a pretty well-known name. I won't say he's a household name outside of hip-hop, but he's a, you know, a pretty popular name. He's been in some movies and things like that. Nothing major. Um, and he did influence artists such as Jay-Z, Method Man, Red Man, Big Pun, and a couple other people. So there's some names there and some big names there. But, you know, not an insane impact as a rapper, but clearly an insane impact as an individual with some of the people that he brought into the game and some of the labels that he started and things like that. So... It's one of those things where he may have gotten a little bit lower of a score, maybe a six as a rapper. Um, and, you know, just as a whole, if we weren't judging Fat Joe as a rapper, I mean, his impact on the game as an individual is probably about a nine. So, or close to a nine. So, that's my point, where impact as a rapper, six. Impact as an individual, nine. So, we're not going to meet in the middle at seven and a half. We're going to go to six and a half. Because, like I said... He's being judged here today as a rapper, and that's what's holding more weight. So, is everything else that he did being included? It is. It carries him up to a six and a half instead of a six. But it's not holding as much weight as what Fat Joe did strictly as a rapper. And then originality, Fat Joe gets a five. It was bordering, you know, a five, a four and a half, and things like that. And if Fat Joe comes out with more material in the future, that just sounds exactly like every other thing that comes out in the future. And, you know, he samples a bunch of shit, and he takes a couple of lines. I can assure you Fat Joe's originality is going to go down to a four and a half, because it was already close. But he winds up getting a five, like we spoke about. There was nothing really overly original about him to begin with. You know, none of his song topics or his rhyme style or his image or anything like that was really overly original. And then on top of that, in the second half or, or the latter part of his career, he just completely changed his sound and started following trends and it just seemed like he was doing whatever to get money. On top of the fact that he did sample and, and take a lot of things from a lot of other artists, like we talked about, it was particularly Biggie, Tupac, Jay-Z, and Big Pun, but... There were a lot of other names in there as well. So, Fat Joe gets a 5 for originality. You add all those 5 numbers up and you divide by 5 and you get a final rating of 4.27. Which puts Fat Joe in 85th place of 165 artists done overall. So, almost exactly smack in the middle for Fat Joe. And I just touched on this a second ago when I was talking about the impact and the originality and how you know he seemed to have started you know following trends and things like that but i want to get a little bit deeper into it here because i want to talk about how his final scores is a bit skewed to me and i want to kind of elaborate on that and explain why in the first half of his career fat joe was better than the scores that he received in total it was clear where there was a point in his career where he kind of traded in his skills for dollars or as we so often like to call it in this game he sold out now, I'm not saying Fat Joe went down the drain or his music is garbage or his career is over or that he made the wrong choice by doing so. If I had to guess, Fat Joe would probably gladly take the trade-off of more money and finishing lower in my study. <laughs> so, that being said, he did what he did. And he did lose points for originality, which obviously lowered his overall score. But not only that, 
It's the potential that Fat Joe had. So, Fat Joe was pretty good. And had he kept going in the direction that he was for the first half of his career and continued to fine-tune his skills, he certainly was capable of finishing a lot higher than this. But nonetheless, Fat Joe is a legend in the hip-hop game for more reasons than one like we just spoke about. So, Fat Joe did what he did. I'm not knocking him, but I obviously have to sit here and score it. I have to punch in the math and see how it comes out. But shout out to Fat Joe and the whole Terror Squad, man, and the whole DITC and all that. You know, major, major plays in the hip-hop game. So now let's move on to the group 8-Ball and MJG. First, let's get into some details about the group itself as a whole, and then we'll get into each member individually. So 8-Ball and MJG, who had their debut album in 1993, Origins listed as Orange Mound, Memphis, Tennessee, United States. Genres are listed as hip-hop and southern hip-hop. Years active are listed as 1991 to present. And then their members are listed as past members of Premro, 8-Ball, Smith, and Marlon Jermaine, MJG, Goodwin. Now, I tried to look into this, and on more than one occasion, it was very hard to find a lot of information on these guys. So I'm a little bit torn because I don't fully understand why their years active are listed as 1991 to present, indicating that this group is still a together and active, cohesive group. But then their members are listed as past members. And there is no current members, which then leads me to believe that the group is not together anymore. And they haven't had anything out since 2010. So it doesn't seem like they're together anymore, but their years active are listed as 1991 to present. I don't think it's really a huge deal, but just wanted to get that out of the way. And I don't want to cause any confusion. So let's read a little bit of a background on 8-Ball and MJG as a group. 8-Ball and MJG is an American hip-hop duo from Memphis, Tennessee. They met at Ridgewood Middle School in Memphis, Tennessee in 1984. In 1993, the duo released their debut album, Coming Out Hard. They then went on to release seven more albums over the next 17 years. So, obviously not too much there on the group aside from basic information, which we already knew most of. Now, let's try to move into each member individually, but I'm just warning you guys before we continue. Like I just said before when we were talking about their years active and whether they're together right now or not. It was very difficult to find any information on either of these guys individually, like birthdays, additional background info and things like that. It was also hard to find some stuff on the group, but a little bit easier to find group information. Very, very difficult to find any personal information on these guys. So I dug deep, I got what I could, and I will give you whatever I found, so bear with me. We'll start first with MJG as he was the first of the two to have a solo album out which dropped in 1997. His birth name is Marlon Jermaine Goodwin. Origins Memphis, Tennessee. Genres are listed as hip-hop and southern hip-hop and his years active are listed as 1991 to present. So unfortunately that's about as much as we're going to get on MJG individually which is a bit weird to me because Although these guys aren't like the most popular and most commercially successful artists ever, it's not like they're unknown underground artists or something like that. So maybe the lack of info is by choice, but whatever the reasoning is, I can't really find anything else on either of these guys individually. So with that being said, let's get into what I wrote down on MJG. I knew of the group 8-Ball and MJG, but not necessarily their music for the most part. 
MJG and 8-Ball were very similar in almost every category. Both had some decent lines, but usually nothing special, and they were very far and few between. As a group, they were pretty entertaining, but lacked substance and depth in a lot of rhymes and songs for the most part. They did show the ability to do this on some occasions, though. MJG was very inconsistent, not only from song to song, but sometimes verse to verse or even bar to bar. He got better towards the middle of their careers and then tailed back off towards the end, leaving him just below average lyrically overall. He dropped 8 albums as a group with 8-Ball and 4 solo, giving him 12 qualifying albums in total. 5 of those albums were good and 7 were average. MJG qualified 152 songs, none of which were great. Only 9 of the remainders were good, while another 9 were weak. Although he made a name for himself in the South, he certainly isn't a household name to even all hip-hop fans, let alone outsiders. He also didn't appear to have any real visible impact on any particular artist. When it came to originality, it just wasn't there for the most part either. Image-wise, music-wise, and delivery-wise, he was your typical down-south rapper. Although the group did have some unique concepts towards the middle of their career, MJG had a very contradictory approach when it came to women. One song, he was slapping and pimping them, saying to show no respect, and the next was a love song. He also took a fair amount from Biggie. So, let's get into the math of what I wrote down on MJG. Lyrics, he gets a four and a half, and I want to touch on that for sure, because, ironically enough, we just spoke about Fat Joe and how he kind of went up and then kind of tailed back off. And we spoke about how I remember that happening with maybe three to five people through 165 artists done. And then here we go. The next person, I have it written down, which I didn't really remember off the top of my head, but MJG just happens to be another one of those people. So I spoke about how he didn't start off great, but he did get better, probably carried himself to around average, maybe close to just above average and then kind of tail back off and finish just below average. So he gets a four and a half there. Albums, he gets a 3.30 with zero classics. Songs, he gets a minus 0.59, which is just over a half a point. And it starts to get significant. I think when you get over the half a point mark, that's where it kind of starts to get significant because a half a point is really what we're going by with all our other scores. Lyrics, it's either a four or a four and a half whatever numbers you want to use as an example, impact, same thing, originality, same thing. Albums and songs are really the only scores where you're getting these weird numbers of 0.59 and 3.30 and things like that. And that's just coming from how small the scale is of everything that we're doing. We're judging every single song individually. So when you start to take percentages of numbers like that, you start getting these, these weird numbers and we have to do a certain amount of decimal places to keep the four to five hundred people that we're doing separated. So I think when you when you start to lose or gain a half a point or more, it starts to become significant because that in turn is kind of lowering or raising your other scores. And obviously the way that he got that was out of his 152 songs. He didn't have any great ones. Fat Joe had the three great ones and the six weak ones. Oddly enough, MJG just had nine weak ones. So same total there, but Fat Joe had three great and six weak. MJG just with nine weak songs. So he obviously loses a decent amount there in the song score. It's nothing too crazy. It's not even a full point, but swing that the other way. And it's an over a one point swing, you know, where he could have got a plus 0.59. Impact, he gets a four and a half. This comes from a bunch of different things. And 
this is another one like I spoke about with Fat Joe before. This is close to a four too because there was really no clear visible impacts on anybody. I haven't seen anybody sample MJG or take any lines from MJG or anything like that. And, you know, not a household name outside of hip-hop. Really probably not even necessarily a household name inside hip-hop. Certainly a household name in the South for sure, but not to everyone in hip-hop probably. And we also talked about earlier how there was you know, hardly any information really even on these guys. You know, they got Wikipedia pages. They they got things when you search them on the internet, YouTube, things like that. So again, it, it's not that these guys are unknown underground people that can't really even be found unless you have, you know, a direct link to them. It's not that. They're there. You can find them. It's just that there's just not a lot on them. There's not a lot of information. There wasn't a lot of artists that they influenced. No record set, no crazy sales, not a tremendous amount of commercial success, not a household name. So he gets a below average score in Impact. And then Originality, he gets a five, which, you know, we spoke about that too. It wasn't, it was different than Fat Joe getting a five because Fat Joe lost a bit for following other things so fat joe made that new york music and then kind of started making a different kind of music mjg is kind of a different approach where there's nothing really original or unique about what he's doing he's just doing mostly typical down south music but mjg also didn't turn around and follow anybody else's trends so he didn't really do anything to give himself any points in originality, didn't really do too much to lose points in originality either, so he kind of just stayed even at a five day. He was just really a typical down south rapper for the most part, and I didn't think there was really enough either way to sway him above or below average in that. So you add those five numbers up, and you divide by five, and you get a final rating of 3.34 which leaves MJG in 154th place of 165 artists done overall. So, obviously not a strong finish there for MJG, but he does manage to make the cut. He's not in last or in the bottom 10 or anything like that, but we'll have to stay tuned to see where he finishes overall when this is all said and done. But right now, it's obviously not looking too good. I mean, I would predict that this guy is going to finish behind the 400 mark, but we shall see. Now... Let's get into the other remaining member of the group, 8-Ball, who had his debut solo album out in 1998. His birth name is Premrose Smith, origin Memphis, Tennessee. Genres are listed as hip-hop and southern hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1991 to present. So, again, just like MJG, that's about all we're going to get here as far as info listed on the internet about 8-Ball, unfortunately, but... We do, of course, have my personal breakdown of 8-Ball, so let's get into that. For me personally, it was a little difficult early on to separate the two until I got used to their voices. Both guys mostly use a lot of single-syllable rhymes, but are able to keep a topic for the most part. Although a lot of his rhymes were usually very basic or simplistic, I started to notice 8-Ball take the lead with some dope lines, especially early on, but they were too far and few compared to the amount of material released. He also followed the same pattern as MJG and tailed off late, leaving him just below average lyrically. He qualified one more album than MJG, eight with the group and five solo, totaling him at 13. Five of those albums were just average, while the remaining eight were good. There were 178 songs qualified, and only two of those were great, while nine were weak and 13 were good. 
Eight Ball, along with MJG, clearly made a home in the South, but didn't have quite the same impact nationally or globally. He too appeared to not have any clear impacts, at least musically, on any other hip-hop artists, and wasn't exactly unique image and music-wise, and did take some material from Biggie. Also, like MJG, 8Ball appeared to have a very contradictory attitude towards women, although he did have some dope concepts and appeared to have more substance on his early solo albums than the group ever had. So, let's get into the math of what I just said. Lyrics, he gets a four and a half, which is the same as MJG got, and oddly enough, we have all three guys in this episode. So, if there were five guys that I did that had this trend of they got better and then tailed back off, three of the five are in this episode today, which is another crazy coincidence. This is part of the reason why I love, I just fucking love stats, and you know, people tease me for it, and like, bro, you're fucking gonna break everything down, I just love looking at shit like this, bro, to me, it's just so crazy that these three guys came out at almost the exact same time chronologically, and all three of them, although they got totally different lyrical scores, Fat Joe on the better end with a six, you know, 8-Ball and MJG a little bit on the lower end with four and a halfs, but all of them that came out right around that same time all followed the same pattern lyrically. And it's not like they came out and did it. These, this You're talking about 25, 30 years and stuff through these people's careers. There's, they're connected in no way. I mean, April and MJG obviously are, but I don't think they followed each other's patterns on purpose, especially not on their solo work. And Fat Joe really isn't connected to 8-Ball and MJG in any way. Not that I think anybody would want to follow a trend of going backwards lyrically. So I think shit like that is cool. I think it's fucking amazing how there are so many things out there that are kind of right in your face that you would never really notice. And then, you know, one day, 20, 30 years down the line, you sit down and you look at something on paper and you're like, what the fuck? Did that really happen? Like, how the hell did that happen? So... You know, that's just another, I remember the Common and Redman episode had a lot of crazy, ironic coincidences in it, which, you know, they really didn't have anything to do with each other either, and then, you know, this, and there have been a lot of others, so, just crazy stuff, that's why I just love looking back at stats, and I love shit like this, which, I mean, me loving stats is kind of what prompted me to do this, I, you know, I wanted to be able to look back when I was done and look at the accumulation of everything. Cause I have my opinions right now, right? I, I got my opinions on who I think is going to finish where and shit like that. Some people I've been spot on and I've hit people up and said, I told you. And they're kind of like, ah, you're not done, bro. Let's wait and see when you're done, which is fair. Other people I've been really badly far off in both ways. There've been people I loved that I thought were going to do okay. And they didn't. And there have been people that I don't like who I was told were going to do good, and I kind of said, nah, I disagree, and they did do good. So, I just love turning around and looking back at this shit and saying, wow, that's crazy. And I, lo I love taking guesses. I love, you know, having my opinion and guessing what I think is going to happen, but also being able to put my opinion aside to just see what actually really does happen. It would be great if my guys finished in fucking 1 through 10. I mean, that would be awesome, but it's obviously not happening. Some of my guys are already in the back, and we're only a third of the way through, and some people that I, quite frankly, just fucking hate are in my top 25 right now. There's actually more than one person that I strongly dislike that's in, that's in the top 25 right now. So I'm going to hate fucking saying those words when that episode comes, but... 
it is what it is. I got to score the people the way that they are. And I just think some of these crazy coincidences that we run into when we keep track of these stats are just nuts. And I love seeing them. So let's get back into the math. Now we're on to albums. Albums, he gets a 3.38 with zero classics. Now, that's just slightly better than MJG's album score. So they get the same lyric score. And then 8-Ball gets a slightly, slightly better album score by a .08. So that's obviously a very, very small margin, but it could wind up separating them at the end of the day. Songs, 8-Ball gets a minus .40. Now... MJG got a minus 0.59. So he picks up another 0.14 there. So now he's picked up almost a quarter of a point between the albums and the song score. And we spoke about the way that he got to that. He had 178 songs, which is a little bit higher than MJG who had 152 songs. But that actually works in 8-Ball's favor because... MJG had no great songs, so it didn't matter if MJG had 10 songs or 100 songs. None of them were great, so he wasn't getting a plus anything there. Now, with 8-Ball having more songs than MJG, yes, his percentage is going to be a little bit lower with his great songs, but it's always going to be higher than MJG's no matter what, because MJG didn't have any great songs. Now, 8-Ball also had 9 weak songs, which is the exact same number as MJG, but again, two things to be noted. MJG's percentage is going to be higher because he had 9 weak songs out of 152 songs. 8-Ball is going to lose a little bit less because he had 9 weak songs out of 178 songs, so that's obviously a smaller percentage. Plus, he also had the two great songs, which we're adding on to that, so... Both of those things added on, and it saves him as he picks up a .19 on MJG in the song category. So a .19 higher than MJG. So between the song score and the album score, he picks up a .27, which is basically a quarter of a point. So nothing major, but again, could separate them, and he's picking up points here where he did lose points, but he lost less points than MJG. So... Impact, he gets a four and a half, which is the exact same score as MJG. Neither guy did anything drastically different to the other. 8-Ball had one more album than MJG, so it's not like MJG had no solo work and 8-Ball had eight solo albums or, you know, 8-Ball was doing the majority of the songs on the group albums by himself and MJG's just on a handful of them. These guys basically, for the most part, just went 50-50 on all of the group stuff and then had almost exactly the same number of solo albums. Neither one of them really had any clear, visible impacts on any artists. They weren't really sampled by people that I've gotten up to yet anyway. Like I said, people's scores are always subject to change until the day that this is done. But as of yet, I haven't seen anybody take any lines from him or quote him or sample him or anything like that. So... There really wasn't anything in this particular category that you could use to separate these two guys. So they both get four and a halfs, and I explained why the four and a half was in MJG, so I'm not going to say the same thing again. And originality, exactly the same as MJG. They both get fives, and, you know, just another one that I don't have to explain. There's no difference. They both got that four and a half and that five for the exact same reasons, so... You add all those five numbers up and you divide by five and that gives you a final rating of 3.40.
putting 8-Ball in 151st place of 165 artists done overall. So, again, not a solid finish, and although it's not by a wide margin, 8-Ball does finish ahead of fellow group member MJG, and that strictly came from the album and the song scores. Lyrics, they got the same score. Impact, they got the same score. Originality, they got the same score. So... 8-Ball beats out MJG by a .08 in the album score, and he beats him out by a .19 in the song score, which allows him to pick up just over a quarter of a point, a plus .27. And that plus .27 wound up giving him an extra .06 in his final rating, and that .06 allowed 8-Ball to finish only three slots ahead of MJG, but we're about a third of the way through, so they're probably going to be separated by about between five and ten people, if I had to guess, but right now, only three slots of a difference, so obviously nothing major. These two are very, very, very similar in almost, actually, I shouldn't say almost, they were very, very, very similar in every single aspect, so shout-outs to 8-Ball and MJG as a whole, man. They definitely did their thing down south, and I ain't here to hate on nobody, so... With everyone today out of the way, let's get into our list. As usual, we'll start off with our top 15% overall, and although none of the artists on today's episode were able to crack the top 15%, we are increasing the number of people named in the list today, so let's see how that affects things. In our top spot, we have Black Thought, who is currently in 7th place of 165 artists done overall. Directly behind him in a tie for 8th place is Tupac. Behind Tupac is Pharaoh Manch in 10th place. Back in 12th place is KRS-One. Behind KRS-One is Jizza who's in 14th place. And behind Jizza in 16th is Slick Rick. Behind Slick Rick is Rakim who's in 18th place. And directly behind Rakim in 19th is Redman. Directly behind Redman is Common, who's in 20th place. And then back in 23rd is Rev Run of Run DMC. Directly behind him is LL Cool J, who's in 24th. And directly behind him in 25th is MF Doom. Couple of slots back, we have a tie for 27th place between Sticky Fingers of Onyx and Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony. Then we have Will Smith, who's in 29th place. And directly behind him, we have Lazybone, who's in 30th place of 165 artists done overall. So last week, we added Crazybone to this list, and I spoke about how him finishing in the top 15% actually prevented Lazybone from getting in there, as he would have been the last artist named, but since Crazybone took up a spot ahead of him, he was never listed. Today, since we have more artists completed... Our list grows to a top 16, and that allows Lazy Bone to officially make his way into our top 15% overall. So welcome to our newcomer, Lazy Bone. And even though this isn't a Bone Thugs episode, I do think that this is important to point out that Bone Thugs now have two group members in our top 15% overall list, and I believe that they are the first group to accomplish that since both members of Run DMC were put on our top 50% list at the time over a year ago in Season 1, Episode 4. Run DMC came out in 1984, and we're in 1993 currently, 
So the first group in nine years to accomplish such a feat. And who knows if it will ever be done again or not. So major shout out to Bone Thugs, Run DMC, and everyone else in this list for sure. Now let's get into our current top 10% lyrically. And there are no changes to this list today at all. So in a tie for our number one spot lyrically overall is Pharaoh Manch and Black Dot with both with lyrical scores of 8.5. Then behind them, we have a three-way tie for third place between Master Ace, Jizza, and Common, who all got lyrical scores of 7.5. And, and then behind them, we have another tie for sixth place between KRS-One and Lord Finesse, both getting lyrical scores of 7. And then we have our eight-way tie for eighth place between Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G Rap, Everlast, Tupac, Redman, Sticky Fingers, and Lazy Bone. All with lyrical scores of six and a half. So Lazy Bone now being named in two lists. So shout outs to him for sure. And the rest of the artists in this top 10% lyrically. Major category for me personally as far as I'm concerned. And now let's get into our particular decades list. Starting with our top five rappers to make their debut in the 1980s. The legends. So your top five rappers of the 80s. Number one, KRS-One. Number two, Slick Rick. Number three, Rakim. Number four, Rev Run of Run DMC. And number five, LL Cool J. We talk about this all the time. Don't expect that list to change very often, if ever. Now on to our top five artists to make their debut in the 90s so far. And there are no changes to this list today either as we're starting to see a common trend of people not being able to crack this top five of the 90s. In our number one spot so far, Black Thought of The Roots. Number two, Tupac. Number three, Pharaoh Monch. Number four, Jizza. And number five, Redman. So... The only difference really here today at all was that we got to officially introduce Lazy Bone into our top 15% overall list as that list grew by one name because of the number of artists done now. If you'd like to see any of the lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. Both of those links are spelled completely normally. On the host website, you see a support button. We're going into the summer. You gotta hit the fucking support button. <laughs> Start your summer off the correct way. Donate to your boy Formsy. I'll be grateful for it. We'll get good karma out of it. It's just, it's just all good all around. You know what I'm saying? So, that's it for this week's episode of Tale of the Tapes, man. And like I said, today was the last and final episode before we take our summer break. We will be back to pick up where we left off in Season 2 on Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021 at 5 o'clock p.m. Starting with Buckshot and Shaq. Yes, that is Shaquille O'Neal, the basketball player. He made the cut, and I think he was a little more seriously invested in hip-hop than most people probably give him credit for. So, enjoy your summer. I will see you back in the fall for Buckshot and Shaq. Tale of the tapes. Peace. Tale of the tapes. Might as well. <laughs>